Miracy. So I like to say that once we understand fear and once we know how to process fear and once we see how fear is designed, then fear really does become nothing to be afraid of, right? Hello, I'm Melinda Cohen, and you're listening to Just Between Coaches. I run a business called The Coaches Console, and we're proud to have helped over 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating profitable coaching businesses. In this podcast, my guests and I dive into challenging coaching conversations we experience with our clients. I also love to take a deeper look into difficult issues and reality checks we might face or have to have with ourselves as coaches, as well as within our own businesses. So many of us are held back by fear in every aspect of our lives. And the coach that I'm going to talk to in this episode wrote an article in Huffington Post years ago, and in it she writes, it takes great courage to truly own your life, every single ounce of it, and no one can do it alone. No one can be fearless without support. Fear is just too darn tricky. It's too darn invisible. My guest is a master life coach, the founder of the Fearless Living Institute, a repeat guest on Oprah, a best-selling author, and an Emmy Award-winning TV host. She's a recipient of the Coach of the Year Award, and she's completely devoted to coaches. I'm going to be talking today to Rhonda Britton. With her acclaimed method called Fearless Living, Rhonda Britton has helped thousands of people let go of indecision, gain clarity of purpose, and take life-changing risks. Her work exposes the roots of fear and gives you the tools to move beyond that and live a fuller life. Welcome, Rhonda. Thank you, Miss Melinda. I am so excited to be here because I love talking about coaching. I love talking about coaching, and I love this topic about fear and what coaches can do with this. So I am so excited that you are here today. And before we dive into that topic, would you mind sharing a little bit of your background? Ooh, okay. So do you want me to give you the meaty story or the business story? The juicier story. Well, my story started when I was 14 years old, and my parents were in the middle of getting divorced. And it was Father's Day. My father was coming to take us out to brunch. My mother made me a brand new dress. And my father walks in, come on, come on. My sister's in the bathroom fighting it out. I have two sisters. And me and my mom are in her bedroom and she's fluffing up her beehive and putting on her rose-colored lipstick. And my dad yells again, come on, come on. So me and my mom start walking out. My sister's still fighting it out in the bathroom. And as me and my mom and dad walk out, it starts drizzling out. My dad says, well, let me get my coat from the car. So as he opens his trunk to get his coat, I notice he doesn't grab a coat, but he grabs a gun and he starts screaming at my mother, you made me do this, you made me do this, and he fires. And I start screaming, dad, what are you doing? What are you doing? Stop. And he cocks the gun again. He points it at me and I absolutely 100% believe I'm next. My mother, seeing that gun in my face, she already has one bullet in her, literally uses her last breath and screams, no, don't. My father, realizing my mother's still alive, turns the gun towards her again, shoots her a second time. The bullet goes through her abdomen, out her back, lands in the car horn. And for the next 20 minutes, all I hear is, "Uh." and then my father cocks the gun one more time, gets to his knees, puts the gun to his head and fires. So I'm 14 years old and I have just witnessed my father murdering my mother and committing suicide in front of me. 
And I don't know how you would respond or anybody would respond, but this is what I did. I blamed myself. I didn't do anything heroic like they do in the movies, right? I didn't jump in front of my mother. I didn't grab the gun. I didn't kick my father in the shins. I did nothing except say, stop, dad, stop. What are you doing? And so from that moment, even though here I am a straight A student, full ride to college, et cetera, I was basically split in two. There was the outside me, right? And the inside me. The outside me was, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Fine, 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 fine. But the inside me never got to be and didn't believe I had any right to be happy ever again. Because when you watch your mother die and you didn't do anything, you don't get to be happy. My confidence plummeted. I had very low self-esteem and I started drinking, became an alcoholic, tried to kill myself three times, got three DUIs. And it was that third suicide attempt when they put me in the psychiatric ward to evaluate me to see if I'm crazy, where they deemed I wasn't, is I realized I had to find a different way because I wasn't dying. Now, mind you, those 20 years in between my parents dying and me deciding I have to change my life, during those 20 years, I read every self-help book, went to workshops. I did everything. I went to therapy. You name it, I did it. I did everything. I'm a really good student. I'm a lifelong learner. I want to devour and I wanted to save myself. But everything I learned, again, not that it wasn't helpful. It was all helpful and it taught me tools and that was awesome, but it never took away the feeling, never took away the feeling that there was something wrong with me. So at that third suicide attempt, when I realized I'm not dying because I wanted to, I realized I got to figure out a way to live. Nobody's coming to save me. I got to save myself. Trust me. I wanted somebody to save me. I waited 20 years for people to save me. And so that day I started doing something crazy, something wild, something I didn't even know how I had the right to do it. But what I did is I, I was so desperate that I started making up exercises for myself to change my life. Now, years later, those exercises are the heart of what I do now as a coach, Fearless Living. Little did I know that this would not only change my life, but would change millions of people's lives. So that you know, set me on a journey. And it took a few more years for me to actually become who I am today, Rhonda Britton Life Coach. So I believe that, you know, when we look back at our lives as coaches, one of the things that we have a privilege of doing is that we get to use all of the tough times, hard times, bad times, punch in the gut times to help ourselves, but more importantly, serve our clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, before we start diving into the topic, I just want to explore the basic definitions of fear so that we're all on the same page. Like, what exactly is fear? How would you describe that for our listeners? I like to say that fear is the cause and effect of our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors, right? It's the cause of them and it's the effect of them. So, fear is something that is in our neurobiology, it's something we can't get rid of, it is in our, you know, DNA. And it is there to keep us safe, bottom line, right? It's actually not the fear that's making you feel bad about yourself. It's actually your interpretation of the fear. It's actually your understanding of how fear works that's making you feel bad. Because fear in and of itself isn't making you feel anything. It's waking you up. So fear is the thing that propels us. And it is the thing that we feel after it, right? So it is the cycle. It is how we work. It's how we process information. So I like to say that once we understand fear and once we know how to process fear and once we see how fear is designed, then fear really does become nothing to be afraid of, right? You know, you no longer have the fear of loss or the fear of rejection or the fear of failure because you see through the illusion. 
let me ask you this, Rhonda. What is the job that fear sets out to do? Like, what what is the purpose of it? The purpose of fear really is... So I'll say one thing. You know, our brains are wired for fear. They're literally wired for fear. So when you have a problem in the present, you know, I've got a problem, right? I want to open this business. I want to fall in love. I want to lose weight. Again, whatever that thing is, what the brain is wired to do is to look in the past for a solution to the present problem. So we look in the past, we're looking for a solution. You're going back to look for the solution in order to create a new future. And we all know that doesn't work yet. That's how we're wired. So what we want to do is actually have the ability to start being willing to live in the unknown and be willing to retrain our brain, right? Willing to use different parts of our brain, willing to use energy resources to shift the way we think, feel, and see, and ultimately change our filtering system. Because fear's job is to keep you safe. And fear doesn't know the difference between physical fear and emotional fear. So, you know, spider and rejection, your body, brain, feelings, heart, thoughts, soul, like all of that is the same to it. It doesn't care if it's a spider versus fear of rejection. So there's emotional fears and physical fears. Emotional fears are where we live our lives, right? Where the rubber hits the road, where we are in every day. Physical fears, I can avoid jumping off of a cliff pretty much most days, right? If I want to be engaged in the world, my fear of rejection or the fear of failure or the fear of loss or the fear of the unknown or the fear of not being good enough is going to come and visit, right? So unless you can see it, unless you know how it sounds, what it looks like, fear makes you believe that the fears are your flaws. The symptoms of fear are your flaws. So procrastination becomes a flaw instead of a fear response. You know, overwhelm is a fear response, but we say, I'm overwhelmed. I'm too anxious. We label ourselves what really truly are fear symptoms. And if we can quit making it ours, like I'm anxious, I'm a procrastinator and quit labeling ourselves and really be able to go, oh, I am right now procrastinating. Huh? Well, procrastination is a fear response. So let's look back and let's see how this works. Huh? What's going on right now? And then again, I have a model called the wheel of fear and the wheel of freedom. So I put my clients through that so that they can see it very easily. But unless you understand how fear works, you're actually most likely solving the wrong problem. You're actually just probably trying to solve a symptom rather than the root. And my work is always at the root. I train my coaches to do two things, to coach process and coach problem. Let's talk about some of the myths about fear. What are are some of the misconceptions that people have on that topic? One of the big misconceptions that people have about fear is that people think that fears get added over and over again, and that a fear they had today is not a fear they've had before. Your core fear is your core fear is your core fear. It shows up differently in different relationships, in different ways, but your core fear is consistent in your life. That is why if I teach a class or when I'm giving a keynote and I say, you ever repeat a problem over and over again, right? Like you go, oh my God, I thought I healed this. Well, that's because you have a core, you know, I don't like to use the word womb because it's deeper than a wound. It's actually your core fear. And that core fear reverberates throughout your whole life. And it allows you to deepen your experience of yourself. It allows you to set yourself free. It allows you a pathway to become more of who you're meant to be, to live the life you're soul intended, as we say in Fearless Living. I love how you just switched that. It allows you, right? When you can identify this, now there's a benefit to it. It's like, wait, I can deepen myself through this. I can choose to see things differently. Therefore, I can choose to live differently. Does that core fear ever go away? No, it doesn't. 
Never. It just continues to show up in different right. scenarios and situations yep. as an invitation for you to keep yes. becoming more of yourself. Yes. And what happens is, you know, as you, again, what I call the wheel of fear, as you start building a relationship with your wheel of fear and start seeing it for what it is and start understanding how much it loves you, because fear loves you. It's just trying to keep you safe. The frequency in which you get triggered decreases. The length in which it lasts shortens and the intensity minimizes. So what used to trigger you at a 10 now triggers you at a two and maybe not at all. I always say when people find their wheel of fear, 30 to 40% of the things that they beat themselves up for, put themselves down for, think is wrong with them, literally disappears overnight because now you see it, understand it, it literally goes away. Then about 30% are things that you're going to practice for a little while, right? And then there's another like 20% are the things more ingrained that you've had more impact with, right? More events in your life that proved it over and over again, ways that you've behaved that deepen the rut of that wheel of fear, right? And those things will show up in different ways. But again, that core fear stays the same. And when we're working with our clients, what is the language of fear that coaches should be looking out for with their clients and and how should they address that? One of the first things I do with my clients is I have them start keeping a list of what I call fear responses. These are symptoms of fear. Now, your clients normally think these are their problems. Like I said earlier, procrastination. Well, I procrastinate. That's actually a fear response. It's actually not a core fear. But again, they think it's a problem. But fear responses are anything that you do when you're not in alignment with your true nature, when you're not in alignment with your higher self, when you're not living you know, inside your value system, right? So when you get short-tempered, when you're impatient, that's a fear response. When you brag, that's a fear response. When you get jealous, that's a fear response. When you get anxious, that's a fear response. When you get overwhelmed, that's a fear response. When you get a migraine, sometimes it's obviously physical and many times it's emotional. That's a fear response, right? So there's physical fear responses, there's feelings that are fear responses, and there are thoughts that are fear responses and actions that are fear responses. So we want to start having the client be able to disconnect themselves from thinking, I'm a bad person, I'm horrible, I should know better, what's wrong with me? Oh my God, I'm procrastinating, I'm such a loot, right? Like all of that negative self-talk. Negative self-talk is, in fact, one of the greatest fear responses, and it is the fear response that fear uses the most to keep us stuck. So what I do with my client is I help them see that these are fear responses, not indications of who they are, not indications of their character, nothing. They're just literally fear responses. And once you can start separating yourself from those things and see them with some space and some space between you and it, there's a relief that comes over you like, oh, I'm not flawed. I'm not wrong. I'm not bad. No, these are just fear responses. And once you can see how it relates to fear, it's not scary anymore. It's not shaming anymore. It's not a reason to beat yourself up and put yourself down or a reason to have you avoid happiness and passion and purpose and take away your rights and you know keep that guilt going in order to pay that emotional debt that you think you owe. So Fear responses are all the things, you know, many of the things that your client thinks is wrong with them or thinks that they should not have done or said or felt or et cetera. And you're the one that helps tease those out and helps the client see how that's fear. So then the client quits shaming, blaming, and berating themselves. You have mentioned living fearlessly, right? It's your brand. It's what you do. What does that mean to live fearlessly? 
to live fearlessly, it's not about jumping out of a plane, it's about jumping into life. Nobody gets out of having fear. Remember, it's part of our neurobiology. It's hardwired into us. It's part of our brain. It's part of our body. And that's never going to go away. But fearless living really is when fear no longer has its way with you. And you, in your full full self, you know, you're able to make decisions that are true and right for you, from your values, from your integrity, from what's right for you. So fearless living really is, are you living in alignment with the truth of who you are? You're going to sloppily do it. You're going to stumble while you do it. You're going to cry while you do it. You're going to get angry while you do it. But are you doing it? Beautiful. Now, how do you tell the difference between the voice of fear and the voice of your own internal wisdom. Like when I get in the moment of something and fear has kind of just swept over me, is this my fear talking? Is this wisdom? Is this my intuition? Should I act? Should I not? And then it just becomes so muddy and confusing sometimes. Like how do you tell the difference and discern that? This is one of the most popular questions I get. So thank you for asking it because it's so critical. And this is a simplified answer of how to tell the difference. Usually an answer that's coming from your fear has a quality of shame in it, a quality of should, a quality of blame, a quality of you better. Your true self, your intuition, your sense of freedom, your true nature, I'll say that again, is you would never feel shame. You'd never feel blame. You'd never say should. You'd never say I better. You would never quantify, qualify, validate, affirm, have to prove yourself. So. I like to think of my intuition, how it shows up for me is that my intuition usually comes up out of the clear blue sky, right? It's like a new thought. And I go, oh. And as I grab that thought, because if you want to have a stronger intuition, you have to grab your intuition. Otherwise, it won't come visiting. So I got to grab it and I got to go, okay, I'm going to write this down. And then I'm going to savor it and sit on it and allow it to simmer. And it has something inherent in it. There's a sense of freedom. Like there's a yes, there's a, oh, yes, 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 right? And by the way, that intuition also, after that, yes, you may say, can I? Wait, what if I feel like you may doubt yourself? So when people say, oh, and it's intuition and freedom, you always feel happy and joyous. It's like, no, not really. You have that initial like, yes, but then the door comes going like, who do you think you are? You can't do that, right? Your job is to stop that door from slamming and going, wait a second, I'm going to court my intuition. Thank you very much. The wheel of fear, when it says, oh, you know, you are so stupid, you know, it has a quality that makes you feel less than yourself. That, my friend, is fear. Now, when talking about living fearlessly, like I said, your entire business and your life's work is all around this. Can you share kind of an overview of your methodology? Can you walk us through just a high level view of that? Sure. So, I, like I said earlier, I created something called the wheel of fear and the wheel of freedom. And I really created that again for myself. And then as I started coaching, it worked for my clients. And every time it blows my mind and opens my heart. So quickly, the wheel of fear has four components. The wheel of freedom has four components. And the wheel of fear moves clockwise, get, you know, rack, ratching you up. So the first place that it begins is the trigger. You know, whether it's an event, whether it's a voice, whether something happened. Now, most times people are triggered they don't even know they're triggered. They may not know they're triggered for four days. Many of our triggers are so subtle and so invisible. So one is the trigger, and that is what we call the core fear. I'll use me for an example. My core fear, my trigger is loser. Now, 
Have I ever been called loser? No. Has anyone even whispered the word around me? No. So your core fear is not what you think it is. Like people come to me and go, I know what my core fear is. I'm like, "Mm -hmm, yeah, sure you do. You don't. You're seeing a fear response. Most 99.99% of people are seeing a fear response. They are not seeing their core fear. Your core fear, when you get it, you will be shocked. You'll be like, what? Your mouth will hang open and you will be shocked. But more importantly, your life will flash before you and you will then understand why you've done every single solitary thing in your life, why you've made every decision you have. You'll see it so clearly. And that gives so much peace. Just finding the trigger gives people so much peace. It's like they understand how they work and they understand their life, right? So let's say you go into a party full of strangers and the first person you see looks at you and turns away, right? So my trigger is loser. So let's say that makes me go loser right inside. Again, I may not use that word, but it makes me that feeling. So then the next thing I do is go into a fear response. So what do I do? Do I walk out? Do I say this party's not for me? Do I call that person stupid? Do I give them a dirty look? You know, what is my quote unquote reaction to being triggered? Now I maybe gave them a dirty look back, right? Which drops me into my core negative feeling. The core negative feeling is the thing that you never want to feel, but you do and you hate it when you do. You wish you never feel that again. My core negative feeling is worthless. And so if I get triggered, start doing my fear responses, I will eventually feel that lovely feeling of worthless, which then only proves to me that I must self-destruct. And then that's when I'm, you know, I'm sober now, but when I used to drink or eat too much or sleep too much, and then the self-destructive continues to validate that you should never let people think or see you as a loser right? So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, this is the cool part. You can get off anywhere you want. You can get off when you see a fear response, which is where most people, when they first start doing their will of fear, that's where they see it, right? They see them getting a dirty look. They see themselves getting angry. They see them short-tempered. They see their behavior and they go, ah, I'm doing a fear response. The minute you see it, whether it's when you're in the trigger, whether it's fear response, whether it's core negative, you're feeling that worthlessness or whatever yours is, self-destructive, whenever you're able to grab it, you immediately want to move over to your will of freedom. So what we want to do is access what I call the essential nature. And the essential nature is that part of you that you don't think you get. You don't think you can have it. You don't think you deserve it. This is a part of you that you killed a long time ago because it wasn't safe to have it. So my essential nature is authenticity. So I want you to stop for a minute and think, if my essential nature is authenticity, but my trigger is loser, is being authentic going to make me feel like a loser at times? Oh, you bet it will, right? My job in that moment, whenever I am triggered, is to go, okay, where can I be authentic? If I was being authentic right now, what would I do, right? And that authenticity then moves into what I call proactive behaviors so that you are not frozen when that comes up again. So I'm going to move into authenticity, which then immediately puts me into what we call the wholeness of who I really am. And the wholeness is actually the doorway to your freedom. And my wholeness is self-acceptance. Yours might be intimacy, confidence. You know, again, we have different ones. Your wheel is not the same as mine. Everybody has a unique personalized wheel of fear and wheel of freedom. So then I go to self-acceptance. And when I have self-acceptance, I run to Britain. That is my doorway to freedom. I immediately move into self-affirming behaviors. Like I have to choose to be patient and self-affirming I am patient. I don't have to think about it. I just am, right? I have to think about being kind. I have to make a choice in a proactive behavior. I don't no longer have to make choices when they're self-affirming. It is actually part and parcel of me having self-acceptance. That is powerful. And I know like you have just, this isn't even the tip of the iceberg for this, but just knowing that there's the framework 
to use to navigate this instead of just getting swept away with fears or not knowing how to handle it or not knowing how to guide somebody else when it shows up is just so comforting and empowering because now we can be at choice. That's right. So let's summarize. I mean, I could keep talking to you about this topic all day, every day this week, on and on and on. So the first thing that you shared with us was the definition, just that it's the cause and effect of our feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. It's our interpretation and understanding that creates the feeling and that the fear is waking us up. It's an invitation to be willing to live in the unknown, to shift the way you're feeling and thinking and seeing in this world. And then you shared some fear symptoms and you really got to what I loved when you said, you know, just don't, as coaches, we can't just address the symptom. We have to also get to the root, coaching the process and coaching the problem. And I love how you spoke about the wheel of fear and the wheel of freedom as a way to help us recognize and acknowledge and see so we could pause, choose differently so we don't keep making these mistakes over and over again. And and you talked to us about living fearlessly. And it's not that we, you know, we can't get out of fear. That doesn't go away. But it's, and I loved this part, Rhonda, when fear no longer has its way with you. That, I just, my whole body is very happy when I hear that. Uh, so that we're able to make distinctions for what is true and right for each of us. So you can hold that space for your clients for what's most aligned with their values and with what's in integrity for them. And that as the coach, we have to offer the opportunity for our clients to shift the way they change. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. We can't be attached to that, but we have to create that opportunity. And I wanna thank you for such an important topic. And Rhonda, do you have any parting words that you wanna share with our listeners? As coaches, we are responsible to never quit growing, never quit learning, never quit being curious about your own process so that you become your own petri dish of understanding human reality. And we need well-trained coaches and there is not enough of us. So get trained. Beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Rhonda for this amazing conversation about fear and fearless living and coaching. You can find out more about her at fearlessliving.org. That's fearlessliving.org. Rhonda, thank you so much for coming to the show. My pleasure. It was beautiful. I love talking about coaching. So thank you. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM podcast network, which also includes such shows as Once Upon a Business and Making It. This episode was produced by Cynthia Lamb. I wrote this episode with Mishi Lance. She assembled the episode. Danny Innie is our executive producer, and post-production was by Post Office Sound. I encourage you and invite you to follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And that way you make sure you receive future episodes and be able to listen to older ones. If you like the show, please give us a starred review. It's a great way to help us get connected to more listeners. 